Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Um, have you ever been somewhere really dark? No. I had the opportunity to uh, be in real darkness. Uh, it was in a coal mine at Mount Oosley. I was doing some atmospheric testing uh, down there, and I was on my own. Um, probably wasn't enough OHS rules around back in the day, and so I was on my own, and I turned off my headlamp, and I let my eyes uh, adjust for a f- quite a few minutes. I thought, I, I want to see how dark is dark. I held my hand up in front of my face like this, and I did not see a thing. Couldn't see any of my fingers, nothing. It made, that experience made me grateful for sight. It made me grateful for light. In today's passage, did you hear it? We hear Jesus call himself the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, if we've been following along, this is Jesus' second I am statement. We looked at his first one a couple of weeks ago. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Uh, This week, we're hearing Jesus say, I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus, he he did not actually get much of an opportunity to explain what he means by that because the Pharisees immediately challenge him. Prove it. And so most of John 8 uh, that we're looking at tonight is, is Jesus actually rising up to the challenge of these Pharisees. And so today's first point is Jesus, light of the world. And the second point of the sermon is, prove it. Spoiler alert, Jesus did prove it, okay? Which means you and I must approach Jesus as the light of the world. And so, uh, um, and approaching Jesus as the light of the world, in particular, what we do with our sin. And so our third point is that question, what do you do with your sin? So Jesus Light of the world. Second point, prove it. Third point, what do you do? What do I do with sin? First point, Jesus, light of the world. There it is. John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, light is a major metaphor in the Bible. We see it in the Old Testament. Like when God led Israel through the wilderness, the glory of God led Israel. It was the glory of God shining. First, during the day, through a pillar of cloud, at night, a pillar of fire, light is a big theme. In Psalm 27, Israel would sing, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Some of us might know Psalm 119, verse 105. God's word is a light to my path. In Psalm 44, verse 3, uh, we're told that the light of God's face defeated God's enemies. Big metaphor in the Old Testament. God rescued Israel. God defeated Israel's enemies. God saved Israel. God led Israel. All of these things that God has done captured through the metaphor of light. 
And then along comes John's gospel and takes the metaphor of light to its full height. Look to me. All right. Yep. Phone calls are so tempting, aren't they? Um, tell them I'll get back to them later. Whoever it was, I'll, I'll check in with them later. All right. John then takes the light metaphor to a whole new level. Do you remember how John opened? Let's go back to John chapter 1. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, there was Jesus. Jesus is the Word, and He was there, and He is God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 4 is crucial for our understanding of light. The opening of John reminds us that Jesus made us. Life comes from Jesus. Jesus literally is life. He made us. Let's pause and think about what that means. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we have four children. Uh, biologically, scientifically, we made them. We gave them life. That's, that's a fact, isn't it? Now, one of them, some of them, all of them, could choose to leave, live life without Nicole and I. That they, they could just have nothing to do with us. We, we gave them the kickstart to their life, but they could choose. This would be really sad, wouldn't it? You're all going to be about to cry, and you're all looking at a couple of my kids right now. You could, they could choose to live a life without their mum and dad. That is not the life that John 1 is talking about. The life that John 1 is talking about is capital L, capital I, capital F, capital E. Jesus made us. Without him, we don't have life. Uh, the scriptures actually say that we can be physically alive and spiritually dead. We can have ears that hear and be deaf. We can have eyes that see and be blind. Just like I was at the bottom of that coal mine. My, my eyes worked fine. And I could not see a thing. Life in John chapter 1 is the spiritual life you and I were created for. Now look at John chapter 1 verse 4 and, and see the shift from life to light. In him, in Jesus, was life and the life was the light of men. You see that shift from life to light? Why? Well, because of verse 5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus has come. And the shift from life to light, uh, because the world is dark. Now, John, uh, when he uses the word world, he uses it in quite a unique way. In John's gospel, world means humanity opposed to God. Now, it's not necessarily uh, a shaking the fist at God, although that, that sometimes happens, doesn't it? Some people, God, I hate you. God, you don't even exist. 
But more often than not, it, it's an ignorance. The, the darkness is an in, ignorance. It's, it's living in God's world without recognizing God. Eyes that can see the world God made, but don't see the world God made. Darkness. And because God loves the world, God sent his son Jesus to be a light shining into the darkness. Jesus has come into a world opposed to God. And so light in John's gospel is so full of meaning. Uh, light is the meaning of life. Light carries the meaning of power to defeat God's opposition. Light is not just illumination. Light is salvation and rescue and life. The life you and I were made for. So then we bring that back to John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus declares that he is the light of the world. And whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Come to Jesus and you will find life. If you're new to the Bible, if you're new to Christianity, again, like we're just so glad you're here, keep reading John's Gospel. Because it's only a couple of more chapters and you hear Jesus say, this life that he's talking about is life to the full. And then that prayer that Begbie um, was reading to us from John chapter 17. John 17 ends with this most amazing promise from Jesus. It's one of my favorite verses. I've got about... 5,000 favorite verses in the Bible, so I'm not sure what that means, but in John 17, verse 26, Jesus prays to the Father, and, and would you bring them into our love? Jesus has come into this world because he wants people to believe in him so that he can bring his followers into the eternal love of God. That is life. Wow. Life, all capital letters. Life that will blow your mind, heart and soul. Now you think the Pharisees would have been excited. <laughs> uh, okay, Jesus stands in front of them and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will have the light of life. And you're thinking, okay, the Pharisees are going to be excited. They know their Old Testament. They know that God is light in life. and They fold their arms, look at Jesus and say, prove it. Here's where we shift into our second point. They challenged Jesus. Have a look at verse 13. We're actually going to read through all those verses that Lisa just read for us, and I'm going to give some comments along the way. John 8, verse 13. And so the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Uh, do you know Jesus has already had this argument with the Pharisees back in chapter 5? Jesus said, yep, we know that you cannot make a claim, just one person on your own. You need another witness. Yep, get all of that. The Pharisees say, oh, Jesus, you're calling yourself the light of the world. That's just you saying it. Prove it. Jesus already did. He did all this back in chapter 5. But he's patient and he engages with the Pharisees. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. At some stage, we all need to get our heads around the fact that 
Jesus is God Almighty. He made us. He was in the beginning. And so if anyone can just make a claim on their own, it is Jesus. But he goes on. You judge according to the flesh. You guys, you judge a book by its cover. I judge no one like that. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. My judgment's true. I'm the Son of God. And the Father and I can look into your very soul. There is no other judgment that matters than mine. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. There is two testimonies about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered them, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. You talk about the father, you read the scriptures, Pharisees, but you don't know the father. You have ears that hear, but you're deaf. You have eyes that see, but you're blind. Because if you could hear and you could see, you would know who I am standing in front of you right now. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Don't you love that? Just another little hint. John's dropping it like he did last week and um, just consistently. Jesus is in control. His hour hasn't come. He's going to pick the time when he goes to the cross. So Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. You are so anchored in this world. You just want to live in darkness. I'm going to go and you're not going to come with me. You're going to die in your sin. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you're from below. I'm from above. You are of this world, this world that is opposed to God. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, I am he who has come from the Father, unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. They have ears, but they're not hearing. They have eyes, but they're not seeing. And so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he the son, I am the son of man of Daniel chapter 7. When I am lifted up on the cross, you'll see that I'm he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. This is pretty depressing, isn't it? The Pharisees just kept coming at Jesus and Jesus just kept speaking the truth and it's not fully depressing because look at verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. 
Have you ever talked to somebody and you can tell that as you get in to say your bit, they're not listening to you? It's almost like they're just waiting to jump in. They're listening to that one little thing you're going to say so they can grab it, twist it and throw it back at you. Have you ever been in one of those conversations? I've got a more positive response from morning church. That's what's going on in John chapter 8. Prove it. But they weren't listening. Prove it. They didn't want to hear it. They just wanted to take something from Jesus so they could twist it and eventually arrest him and execute him. Jesus had performed enough miracles, taught enough truth, influenced enough people to prove beyond all reasonable doubt that he has come from the Father and the Pharisees should have listened to him when he said he is the light of the world. And yet they contemptuously ask in uh, verse 19, well then who is your father? It wasn't a genuine question. They wanted Jesus to say something and trip himself up so they could grab it, arrest him, execute him. The Pharisees were not listening to Jesus. The Pharisees, they had hard hearts. The Pharisees were proud, they were unteachable. And Jesus called a spade a spade in verse 24. Jesus told the Pharisees they would die in their sin because they did not believe that Jesus is he who has come from the Father. Now, it's tempting to think that Jesus was too harsh. It's tempting to think, well, Jesus was a little bit cryptic in this chapter, wasn't he? Why didn't he just clearly say, I am the Son of God who has come from the Father. Yes, that makes me equal with God. You must believe me because I'm I'm the Messiah that you've all been waiting for. I've come from the Father and I'm going to go back to the Father via the cross. It's tempting to think, uh, well, the Pharisees, Jesus was a little bit cryptic. Let's back off a little bit. No, 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 don't give them any excuses. Remember all the miracles Jesus had already done. By this stage, Jesus had been teaching for over two years. And this was the Pharisees. They had their Old Testament memorized. Jesus wasn't cryptic to them at all. He was crystal clear. The language of Jesus in John chapter 8 for the Pharisees was was 1 plus 1 equals 2. Jesus' miracles plus Jesus' teaching equals Jesus is the Son of God. But the Pharisees... They go, well, Jesus is miracles, Jesus is teaching, Jesus is the devil. They were blind, they were antagonistic, they were dark. Jesus is the light of the world, but they wanted to stay in dark. They wanted to remain in their rebellion against God and God's Son. They refused to hear and see. But what about those people in verse 30? They believed. Brothers and sisters, one of the hardest things about being a Christian is when we share the good news of Jesus with friends and family and they keep saying, prove it. Prove it. Prove it. Now, at first, it's it's actually good. Like, we're in dialogue. (laughs) We're talking and questions are good. Questions are good. Many of us were converted because somebody would listen to our questions patiently and and give us answers. 
And, and so love and patience and active listening and compassion is very important when it comes to being persuasive with the good news of Jesus. I, I know one guy, um, one Christian guy, who would, he's just like, well, I told them the gospel once. They refused, so I'm done with them. I'm glad that wasn't the guy God sent to evangelize me. It was Charlie who God sent to me. Month after month, Charlie would say, Steve, so have you changed your mind yet? So Steve, can, can I tell you about Jesus again? Love, patience, active listening, compassion is, is necessary components if we are going to be persuasive about the gospel of Jesus. And there does come a time when we need to speak like Jesus. Friend, I am afraid that you are going to die in your sin because you won't come to Jesus in repentance and faith. There comes a time when the most loving thing we can do is confront a person's stubborn, hard heart. Why is that loving? Because of what Jesus has said in John 8. Jesus has come from the Father. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, when we, we, we sing it, he, he's come. And then like we, we sing it about the, the dust from which we were made cries out for his murder. Jesus came from the Father. And we know more than what Jesus spoke to these, this original crowd because we know that Jesus did go back to the Father. We do know that the Son of Man was lifted up on a cross. And so Jesus' way back to the Father was through his death. And God put our sin on his own Son and he, Jesus was punished for our sin. Jesus was buried. He died and he was buried. And then God raised him to life again. And he's now seated as the king that we've been singing about all afternoon already. That is why the most loving thing we can do is be persuasive with our friends and our family that they must not die in their sin. Verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If our friends don't hand their lives over to Jesus, they die in their sin. That means they face God's judgment without Jesus' forgiveness. They die condemned. This is deadly serious. You and I only have a, a few decades to persuade. Um, a couple of you, one or two out there, probably have less decades than I do. Most of you probably have more decades than I do, but all of us only have a few decades to persuade friends and family that they must not die in their sin. Turn to Jesus, come to Jesus, believe in Jesus. His good news is black and white. 
It is a line in the sand. His good news is it, it is exclusive. But brothers and sisters, his good news is good news. Because it is salvation for anybody who believes in Jesus. And so that great quote we keep throwing around from C.T. Studd over a century ago, only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Okay, we, we need to get to our last point. What, what do you do with your sin? What do I do with my sin? This is an important question because Jesus is the light of the world. Therefore, we must keep a short account with our sin. As Christians, we want to bring our sin every day into the light of Jesus. We must confess and repent every day. Let Jesus show how ugly and soul-depriving our sin is because he's the light who brings life. And so we, we must bring our sin to Jesus every day. What do you do with your sin? Here's a couple of potentially deadly ways that many Christians deal with their sin. First of all, they ignore it. Some Christians say we shouldn't think, talk or worry about sin. Jesus died for our sin, we've got God's grace and so let's not talk about sin. Uh, let's just move forward with Jesus' forgiveness. Uh, a few years back I confronted a young man about his sexual sin. and uh, uh, Now when we sat down to chat, he actually admitted it. And then he turned around and confronted me for confronting him. He said, back off, bro. I'm a saint, not a sinner. Don't you know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Back off. What a deadly thing to do with Jesus' grace. Do you know that that is the exact opposite of what God argues in Romans chapter 6. We've actually got a chapter in the Bible for this very issue. Where yes, we are all saved by grace and grace alone. I'm the first to admit I've got a head full of rocks and a heart full of stone. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be walking in my sin right now. Grace, grace, grace. Amen. But Romans chapter 6 says, now don't you dare use that as an excuse to indulge in more sin. Use the grace of God as the power and the courage to fight sin, not indulge in sin. And so we mustn't ignore sin. We mustn't ignore sin. We've got to bring it to the foot of the cross and the grace every day. And that brings me to our second deadly, potentially deadly way we sometimes respond to our sin. We fight sin alone. Don't, don't fight sin alone. As we grow in our love and knowledge of God, here's why I think we do it. Because as we grow in our love and knowledge of how good God is, we start to see how ugly and embarrassing and yuck our sin is. And so then we'll turn around and go, well, I better fix it all up before I talk to God. No! <laughs> Bring it to God. He's the one that will actually help us. It's like two North Poles coming together. Think about fighting sin like this. God says, I know what is best for you, what is best for me. I, I know. I know your true north. And our sin and our devil says, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll give you a better way. I'll give you. And it's not. It's ugly. It leads to death. And so the more we see the beauty of God and his ways, 
the more we'll be repulsed by the devil and sin's ways. Do not fight sin alone. Fight sin with the words of God. Don't fight sin alone. Confess it to God. Confess sin daily. Keep a short account. Bring sin into the light of God's glory and grace. And if it's an ongoing sin, if it's just something that I just keep coming back to it, enlist an accountability partner. Someone, another Christian, if you're a guy, another guy, if you're a girl, another girl, enlist someone you're going to also confess that sin to and say, hey, help me do this. And that means we need to be good accountability partners with each other. We need to be accountability partners that when someone comes and confesses their sin, we don't go, whoa, what the heck? We go, oh, yeah, there but for the grace of God, that could have been me too. We need to pray about this, and yes, I want to help you. Yes, I want to help you come up with a plan. Which means we also cannot be wishy-washy. I reckon um, our doctors, our GPs, get more in our face with just things that might kill us physically. It's not a big deal at all. You know, stop chuffing, that'll kill you. They get in our face. But when it comes to spiritual things that will lead us away from Jesus, we're like, oh, yeah, you did that again. Yeah, we're talking about it again. It's not a really big deal. No, 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 let's help each other come up with a plan to be killing sin or sin will be killing us. Don't ignore sin. Don't fight sin alone. I want to finish with a trying to destroy a lie that holds us Christians back from bringing sin into the light. We, we don't like to talk about sin, do we? I know I think we've just got to realise that's stupid. It's as stupid as Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned. Do you remember after they sinned, what were they doing? Hiding behind bushes. <laughs> Have you ever seen a three-year-old try and hide from mum and dad? I'll show you how a three-year-old tries to hide. They think if they can't see you, you can't see them. God sees everything. God knows everything. And Jesus stands before us and says, I am the light of the world. Come and believe in me. I have come to bring you life, life to the full. And I'm going to finish with an illustration that I've got to confess. It actually comes from two of our teenagers. This morning I only knew it was one of our teenagers, but now I've heard more, it's two. And I, I, so for the little point of why I think this is cool is I'm being taught how to preach better sermons from our teenagers, so that's pretty cool, yeah? And it is a superb illustration for this point about why don't we confess our sin to God more and share our sin with a couple of accountability partners a bit more. It's because we're fearful and we're embarrassed. And, and yet we know we sin. And Jesus came to be the light who will bring us life. And so what do you do with your sin? Because of fear and embarrassment, we, we also try and just fight sin on our own. We try and hide it. We're embarrassed. We don't want to talk about it. Because, um, I mean, look at this guy here. He's pretty handsome, isn't he? And... We want to be seen as in control. 
We want to be seen as okay. We, we don't want to talk about sin. We're embarrassed. Uh, it, it can be ugly. And the Bible actually calls sin a stain. I, I am stained by sin. I am, and so are you. And so then we start to think, who could love that? And Jesus steps in. He says, I do. I'm the light of the world. And I've come to bring you life. And I did that by dying on the cross for all of your sin. If you would just come to me and believe in me, confess your sin, bring it all to me every day, because I love you and I dealt with it. What do you do with your sin? I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask if there's any questions. Oh, Father God, you are God Almighty and you sent your Son so that we can call you Father, so that we can enter into your love. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying for our sin. Would you make our hearts believe that you have done it all, it has been finished on the cross. And Father, I pray for anyone here tonight who, who is yet to come to Jesus for the first time. Would this be the night where you stir them to bring them to Jesus for life? Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.